welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Good morning, friends. Good morning, little friends. We have our kids in service today, family service. Hey, if you're normally in the kids' ministry, I want you to put your hand up in the air just like this. If you're a little bitty one, put your hands up in the air. All right, Pastor Chad wants to give you an air high five right now, all right? You ready? One, two, three, we're going to high five. You adults can too if you want to play along. Ready? One, two, three, there you go. Good morning. Hey, so um, I had something really cool that happened this week, and it wasn't my birthday, just in case you wondered. Um, my birthday was good, but that's not what I'm talking about. I do want to say thank you for uh, everybody who blessed us. Um, don't even know what you blessed us with, but for pastor appreciation, I speak for myself. And Pastor Nate, just want to say thank you in advance for all your generosity. The church is very generous and loving, and uh, I even since that this week over my birthday. But one of the things that happened uh, this week, I was following along with someone who is a native Kenyan, and for the last, I think this is day seven, but I pay attention to it for six days. Six days in a row, he's been on this evangelistic pilgrimage in native Kenya, just walking person to person, village to village, sharing the good news of Jesus. And I've been so encouraged. I haven't seen any massive people give their life to God, but what I've seen is this man going by himself, just being obedient, just plodding along, village to village, documenting where he is and the people that he's with around uh, Lake Victoria and just being faithful to the gospel and him walking through and walking right by two different uh, like big national parks that have wild animals, African animals, and he's just like on his way to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And I've, I've been really encouraged about that this week, and I think that's just a good thing for us to really come to terms with in the day and age that we live in now. These days are good days to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? These are good days to not only know who God is, but also to tell others about who God is. And I hope that you sense that and you feel that through the next three weeks as we're digging into this series. I know there's going to be a lot of this that is historical, and, and I've had to, to take a, a slower-than-normal approach to get to where we're going, and, but I have to do so because I know some of us, have we've been educated or deci- been discipled by the television set and not the Word of God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back into the Word of God and give us more of a long run into what's going on now, how we got to where we are, and also what we can expect in the future. Are you good with that? Say amen. amen. If you're not, just be silent, all right? So there you go. Good. So, so that's where we're going to be, and we're going to spend some time there. And hopefully, just even the title of this, of this three-week series is... Israel, Hamas, and the Second Coming of Christ. I didn't name it this just to be provocative, but I named it this because I want to hopefully give some some answers to these questions that you've been asking. Are the battles in the promised land a sign of the Second Coming of Christ? Is Hamas somehow connected to a larger story? Will Israel be wiped off of the face of the earth? And then largely, why should we care? Because at the end of the day, we already know this. This is we're already a couple weeks after the tragic events of when Israel was was just 
invaded by a bunch of people and all sorts of of just horrible things. And I'm not giving in details. If you've been paying attention at all, you know what's happened. But now we're a couple weeks later, and the narrative has already shifted to where now it's not so much about, about Israel and the violence that happened about with Israel. Now the, the narrative is switched around to where it's like, now can we just get Israel to settle down? And now can we get Israel just to go back to sleep, to just go do what they're going to do, but could they do it quietly? And could we just allow those, the people that, who hurt them, could we not allow Israel to protect themselves? And the narrative has shifted so much, and I predicted this in our home. I, I told Marla, I said, I'm telling you it's going to be short order. Everything's about Israel, and, the, and everything's going to turn against Israel because that is what always happens. And the reason why that always happens is because they are, they are people who have been looked after by God for so long and the enemies of God stand against them generation after generation after generation. Hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years of biblical history bear this out. But I even know this, that the average person, they don't know why Israel is important and they may not even care because the bombs aren't being dropped in their backyard. It's not their wives and, and their children who are being violated. So it's like, why does it even matter? I can just turn off the TV. I can just stop scrolling until all this over. And then I can just get on to football and other things that I want to be about. And the average American, we tend to look at things really quickly and just kind of like be wowed over what's going on and then go back to sleep very quickly and just talk about taxes and how much gas costs and inflation and, and other things instead of missing maybe what it is that God's doing. The Jewish people have been persecuted for generations. The, they've been persecuted ever since the Old Testament time when, with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. That was all within the Old and New Testament. But then following after that, the Jewish people would be persecuted again by the Persians and then the Byzantines and then the Muslims in about 638 A.D. That's an important number. And then after the Muslims then went in to sack and take over Jerusalem, and then soon after the Crusaders, those bearing the name of Christ, did the same thing, and then the Ottomans followed. So it, it's, it's nothing new as to what is happening, and just the anti-Semitism, which is, you can just summarize that as saying hatred for the Jews. There's nothing new. Biblical history, and even world history, bears out this this truth. Biblical history would also bear out about the Egyptians. Remember back when the Jewish baby boys were, they were trying to just annihilate all the Jewish baby boys. Remember that in the Old Testament. They were just trying to kill off the Jews. And then Esther, Queen Esther, the hero of her time, she went against the king, King Xerxes, the Persian king in the Old Testament. And she, she was the one who was standing against this plot to kill the Jews. Some of you remember that. And even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you are familiar with this. You're familiar with what happened where six million Jews died during the Holocaust in what Hitler called the final solution just to eradicate the world of all Jewish people. I tell you all that not to just bring about bad news or a gripping story, but just so you understand that what's going on with the Jewish people and in Israel is nothing new. It's nothing new, and it's unfortunate. I don't say that to slight what's happening, but I'm just saying it's nothing new. There's been thousands of biblical, thousands of world, thousands of years of world history of just people coming at God's people, 
coming into Israel. True Israel, I'll mind you. So it's no different with Hamas, Hezbollah, or any other radical extremist, all fed by some, some belief of Islam, from a, a, motivated by a guy hundreds of years ago, now over a thousand years ago, by the name of Muhammad, who they've taken the, these, the message of Muhammad and they twisted it all that, and they've just taken his message in a lot of ways just to preemptively destroy the nation of Israel. But what bothers me outside of all of that is how people respond to what's happening in Israel. It's how people, even in our country, they're responding where you have high schools, public high schools, they're marching through the halls and they're, they're saying words they know nothing about, about something they know nothing about, but they're marching through the halls with picket signs yelling Allah Akbar. That's the thing that strikes me. Are people in every, uh, many rather, large metropolitan cities then backing the war, that's backing Hamas and, and the violence against Israel, them doing all these things and picketing and not saying anything about the innocent people who died and who are still dying because of Hamas's attack against Israel. Or what's being said on college campuses now of changing the narrative to where now it's just twisting it just so much to where it's not even about Israel at all. It's all about something else and it's about another narrative justifying the annihilation of Israel. You see, all of these things break my heart. These things break my heart and they probably break yours too. And all the while, God's word tells us in places like Psalm 122, 6 through 9, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the word says, may those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and sisters, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of your house, the house of our Lord, I will seek your prosperity. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is a good time to be about that message and being compliance with God's word. And I also believe, and this is not a political statement, but I also believe that we, we benefit greatly in this country because of our connection with Israel. And there's a reason why. I'm going to share the verse with you in just a moment. But I think that we share uh, some, some common threads and I think not only because we're in alignment or not because we need to be allied with Israel. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not even saying militaristically or politically. This is, so that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the American ethos, tradition, the founding of our country was based off of Judeo-Christian beliefs. There was a belief that there were truths in the Bible carried out through people like Abraham and others and also continue the Christian beliefs that, that those of us in this country were, were birthed in the tradition of those values. And I think because of that, we have been a richly blessed nation. Also, I think that there's a connection with Israel just as a nation of people, but I also believe it's just because of the values that they hold, uh, that they had and that we uphold. Genesis 12, 3 says this, and I'll, I'll lead into the sermon in this way. 
Genesis 12, 3. God's word says this, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a promise from God to a gentleman by the name of Abraham. And it was a promise through Abraham that was an unconditional promise that was going to to last forever. We see this was continued, this promise was continued all the way through the Old Testament. It birthed in Abraham through the Old Testament, and Jesus came through the line of Abraham. We're going to see that more next week. But there's this reality of an unconditional promise from God that the people can be blessed through this message through Abraham. You see, I believe it's not only Israel that needs to be blessed, but I also believe it's the Palestinians that need to be blessed. Because the last numbers that I looked at, only 2% of the Jews are Christians and only 2% of the Palestinians are Christians. They need Jesus Christ. The war is not going to end until they meet Jesus in one of two ways. They meet Jesus in a, in a way that Jesus saves their soul, or they meet Jesus after death and they're condemned. And some to salvation, but most to hell, the real place called hell. Well, let's begin with this understanding of Israel and how we got to where we are today. There's a name in the Old Testament in Genesis, and this, this name Abram and Abraham. Abram was his original name, and God changed his name to Abraham. For simplicity, I'm just going to refer to him as Abraham. His wife also had her name changed as well. We're just going to call her Sarah, just to make that easier. This is around the time frame of 2166 B.C., approximately. That number's important. 2166 B.C. is when Abraham was born. The Abrahamic covenant reads in this way from Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land. There's a note. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. You may want to underline great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will bless. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is God's covenant message to Abraham still continuing today. Mark Driscoll, he summarized the struggle in the promised land by saying that the, the struggle in the promised land is a war about the land, the lineage, and who is the Lord. It's about the land that was given to Abraham, it was promised to Abraham, it's about the lineage as to who should be blessed through the line of Abraham and who is the Lord. It says this, that by faith, Abram was to leave his hometown. It was a place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, in order to receive a blessing, this land and this nation of people through his lineage. And Abram... Abraham, he settled in the land of Canaan, the promised land. I want you to know this is true of Abraham, but it's, not, but it's also true of you. 
We're not saved by making promises to God. We're saved by believing God's promises to us. Amen? And it was God who graciously gave this covenant to Abraham. It wasn't that Abraham kept the rules or that he was overly uh, religious or that he was doing all these things. Well, God chose to bless Abraham and give him land and a lineage because Abraham believed in God, he believed that the, God, the message of God was true, and this message that he believed was credited to him as righteousness to be right before Almighty God. So Abraham came to faith in the same way that we come to faith. It's no different. We're going to spend some time looking at Genesis 16, but to get there, I want to just explain it in this way where we're going to be for the next little bit. We're going to look at Abraham's crooked family tree. Abraham's crooked family tree. And we're going to look in Genesis 16. We're going to look at his, his first child. Abraham received this promise that he was going to have children when he was 75. He had children. So you can imagine how shocked he was at 75. I don't know if you realize this. Things stop working once you get a little later in age. And so it was going to be a miracle by which God would make this happen. And so he's 75 when God gives him this unconditional promise that he's going to be able to have children. And yet we see the tension that's going to happen in their storyline right here in Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sariah said, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with her and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. mistress excuse me. Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I will put my servant in your arm. I put my servant in your arms and now She knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Can we just state the obvious for a moment? That any time that a married woman introduces another woman into that marriage is probably a bad idea. Amen? Amen. Predictably, it goes wrong. Verse 6. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was, it was the spring that is beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar, son of Sarai, where, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that you too will be numerous that you will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you, have, you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, 
for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave him this name to the Lord. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the one who sees me, for she said, I now see the one who sees me. This is why the well was called Bir uh, Lahai Rohi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bared. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Israel, Ishmael. Excuse me. So Abraham received this covenantal promise at the age of 75, and he had... He waited 11 years and noticed that it wasn't God's idea to bring Hagar into the marriage for Abram to have a child. It was Sarah's. It was Sarah's idea because she got impatient. She was waiting on God and she just got tired of waiting on God. And the very thing that she wanted to have happened did happen Hagar gave birth to a child, and his name was Ishmael. We're going to hang on that name in just a moment. As we look into this, look into verse 11 and 12. Let's see the type of man that Ishmael would turn out to be. You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. I'm going to fast forward just a moment. And then I'm also going to rewind in just a couple minutes. And if you've ever lived by cassette tape or VCR back in the day, you know how to do this. So we're going to do this together. We're going to fast forward. And I just want you to know that Muhammad would be the the founder of the nation of Islam and the belief of Islam is from the lineage of Ishmael. So now look at all the the radical terrorists and all of the horrendous things that have happened, not only to the Israels of late, but also to the Twin Towers that were taken down and what happened in Pennsylvania and what happened at the Pentagon when a lot of innocent people died on those days and all the other terrorist attacks that have happened Many of those terror attacks that we can remember have connections to Islam and Muhammad going back to Ishmael. Notice again what it says about Ishmael and others who would come and be his descendants, that he would be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. They do not know peace. They only know murder, terrorism, and hostility. They're trying to bring these things into the world because for them, they are so infatuated with death. They're not infatuated with life. They're not infatuated with the message of Jesus. They want nothing of the message of Jesus. They don't recognize Jesus. They're demonic. And notice that he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. The, the Islamists, they can't even agree amongst themselves. 
And I'm, I'm thankful that this, this verse is here because if they actually all gather together to pull together under one belief, they could have a lot more power than what they do now. But I'm so thankful that the word of God is true, that they, that they live in hostility towards their brothers. In other words, they live in hostility towards one another. They don't, they don't, they don't gather together. If they did, they'd be much more powerful. But praise God they don't. Praise God that his word is true. Now let's go to the right in the Bible. We're going to look at another son. This is going to be the son of the promise. This is a son by the name of Isaac. We're going to look at verse 21. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to also go in verse 8. And we're going to see what happens to Hagar and Ishmael after Isaac is born. This is important to world history. This tells us, really sets the stage for where we are today. Genesis 21, 1 through 7 says this, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. In other words, it was right on God's time. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son that Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said, that Sarah, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. At this time, Ishmael is 13 to 14 years old. Isaac, we'll find out in a moment, is the son of, of the promise. This is the, the lineage, the Abrahamic covenant, the blessing of Abraham to humanity was going to come through Isaac and not Ishmael. You don't believe me? I wouldn't either. Let's look at verse 8. Let's read it together. Verse 8 says this, The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Abraham, uh, that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. In other words, Hagar already doing what a teenager does, mocking his brother, but isn't that just such a picture as to what's happening in the world today? And she said to him in verse 10, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in an inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and his maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of your maidservant into a nation also, because, he's your because he is your offspring. So the first child is the father of the Palestinian nation and the, Ab and the Arab nation, Ishmael. God disapproves of Ishmael. God sends Ishmael out of the house with Hagar. We know that Ishmael 
was an unrestrained and untamable donkey of a man. We also know that the covenantal promise, the Abrahamic covenant, was going to come through Isaac. Because God had set it up that way. And you may say, well, how does all of this play into current world history? Well, this plays into current world history in this way. Because 1,500 years or so, it's an approximate number, after Isaac was born, Muhammad was born. And Muhammad, when he was born... In Saudi Arabia, much of the work that he did began in Saudi Arabia. He rallied people in Saudi Arabia. Again, he's the captain of that team. There's a popular theory that Muhammad is, is a direct line from Ishmael. And as a matter of fact, he was a major proponent of that idea too, claiming himself that he was a... He was connected in the lineage of Ishmael and that in the Quran. Muhammad claimed that God is one. When Islamists say Allah, they're not talking about Yahweh, the God that we serve. They're talking about a pagan God. They're doing all these things, these devilish and demonic things in the name of a pagan god. Although Muhammad claimed that God is one, in his belief there is no trinity and Jesus was just another prophet like Abraham, like Noah, like, uh, like Adam, like Moses, like David, and of course like Muhammad himself being recognized with his new interpretations. The word Islam, it means surrender or total submission. And make no mistake, the, the message of Islam is very simple. It's demolishing anything that is not Islamic. Every radical terrorist hates everything that looks like freedom, that looks like life, that everything that looks like the United States or any country that has influence with the United States, known as the West. They stand against all of these things, but this is not new. Because to them, it's about total submission to now Sharia law. Imposing a law where, where women and children have no rights. Where they, they are the equivalent of just bearing children and being treated like animals. The word Allah is actually an Aramaic compound word. And it doesn't mean God, capital G, it means the God. And the very message of Islam is, is that the, the God exists, but you can't know him personally. But the message of the Christian faith is that there was a God who wanted to be so personal with us that he was in heaven and chose to come to earth, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he would be born a virgin, live a perfect and sinless life, that he would die sacrificially on a cross, that he would resurrect from the dead on the third day, and that he promised that he would come back, 
And that he did come back early in the book of Acts and released the Holy Spirit to all those who believed at the time of saying, hey, I told you that I was true. I told you that I was God. I am God. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. And he's a God who, who wanted to be personal with you. The message of, of the Muslim faith is that God is distant and he can't be known in a personal way. And there's an obsession with death. Through everything that, that we're being told and everything that we even see that's, that's beginning here with what's happening, happening with Ishmael bears this truth out. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. God creates marriage. There's counterfeits to marriage. God creates born-again believers. And then there are just people who hang out with born-again believers, but they participate, even in gatherings like this. And they're not the real thing. You see, God rejects Ishmael, and God blesses Isaac. Why God does all of this, I don't know why God did all this. I just know that he did. And I know that he did because it's in the Word. And it's in the word because God wanted us to know. And God not only wanted us to know, he wanted us to know the God of the Bible, but he also wanted us to know the message of the Bible. He didn't want us to worship the Bible. He wanted us to worship him. But we get to know him through the Bible. And if we're not allowing ourselves to be uh, just soaked in and saturated with the word of God, we're going to be soaked and saturated by things in the world. And then our hope will wane, we won't have peace, we'll be caught up in, in hostility, and it's, it's totally unnecessary. Go one step further. Isaac is the father of the Jewish Israelite people, and Ishmael is the father of the Muslim or the Arab or Palestinian people. It's important that we go back in history to know where things start and where the tension began. Because this isn't a new tension. This is very clear. We see it all throughout the scripture. You see, the battle for the promised land, it's going to continue because it's a, ban it's, it's a battle about land, the lineage, and who is the Lord. It's about the land. It's about the lineage and about who is the Lord. The struggle that we see, the Apostle Paul talks about the type of struggle that we see in Ephesians 6.12. And he said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The battle that we see going on, this is not just a, a political battle. This isn't just a, a matter of just a small piece of land about the same size as New Jersey. 
It isn't about, well, you attacked me and now we get to retaliate, but we can't retaliate too much and obliterate you. It's a spiritual battle. This, this is a battle we all face, though. We don't battle it in the same way. Praise God, we don't battle in the same way that they are in Israel. But we are all in a battle to get our lives together, are we not? We're all in a battle to try and get it together. Some of us were in a battle to get our marriage together. Some of us were in a, in a battle to, to, to keep our kids together. Some of us are in a battle of, of staying in our job and we're to have just disagreement with our, our boss and all we can see is what the boss does wrong and we're in a struggle. Some of us are in, in, in a battle of addiction to break free from addiction once and for all and to live the life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. So, so we, in our own way, understand this battle to just get it together. But for them, again, I'm not drawing a natural parallel to what's going on there, but I'm saying we can relate because we're all in a battle to get it together. And the things in, in the Middle East will not be together until Jesus either returns or they all get saved. We'll fast forward a little bit further. It brings us to Hamas. Hamas actually began in 1987. It's a rather new movement. And from its onset, within a year or two, it was already deemed to be a known terrorist group around the world. The people of Gaza and the West Bank elected Hamas to be their political leaders in 2006. They elected them to be leaders of them. There's, there's conflicting percentages as to how many people actually elected them in and what that process was, but I can tell you, as a majority of them, they voted in Hamas to be their leaders. That's not for us to just write it off and say we shouldn't be compassionate towards them. No, they need Jesus just like the Israelites need Jesus, just like we need Jesus, just like our neighbors need Jesus. I want you to know that the word Hamas is actually in the Bible. Some of you probably don't know this. It's in the Bible a total of 60 times, and I'm going to break down the usage, and I'm just going to summarize the usage with these two words, violent evil. The usage continues out in this way. The word Hamas can be translated in the Old Testament as violence 39 times or violence 7 times, cruelty 4 times, wrong 3 times, false 2 times, cruel 1 time, damage 1 time, injustice 1 time, and also oppressor 1 time, and being just simply unrighteous 1 time. There are no positive usages of the word Hamas in the Old Testament. And although in Arabic, the word Hamas, it means zealous or strength, the Hebrew rendering of the word being violent evil still stands. We shouldn't be shocked when these things happen, but we also have to see that they are actually tied into a much deeper biblical story going all the way back to Abraham 
through Ishmael, the wild donkey of a man who was going to have such disagreement with his brothers and that everybody was going to be at war with them. You see, when I look at what's happening with Hamas and when the West Bank and Gaza, when they let Hamas be their leader, they just let Hamas have a foothold. And what's true of them is is also true of us. When Satan takes a foothold, it becomes a stronghold. Whether it's large or small, when Satan takes a foothold, it gives a stronghold. And it becomes a stronghold. I'm thankful that the Word of God is true, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, as what the Paul... The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. But there, Hamas is, they're in leadership of this area. The word Hamas is also used in another important part of biblical history to explain what was happening with the flood. This is how God described what was happening. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence It's the word Hamas from Genesis 6, verse 11. Also, in Genesis 16, the passage we just read, in verse 5, then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong. That's the Hebrew word Hamas. I am suffering. I will put my servant in your arms, and now she knows that she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Another reference, Psalm 140, verse 1. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, from the Hamas man. What happened to Hagar and Ishmael needs to be dealt with on the world stage. Ishmael and Hagar had to be cast out of Abraham's home. And the violent evil of Hamas needs to be thrown out of existence. I pray that would be done spiritually. That there would be just a revival of just, and it would just be birthed with repentance. That no more lives would have to be lost. No innocent children would be without a mom and dad. No innocent children would be just dealt with in the way that they were. That no, no wives would be pulled out of their home. I pray that there's, that there's a spiritual result. But if there's not a spiritual result one way or the other, the way that you have to deal with this type of Hamas is the same way that God dealt with the Hamas in Genesis 6 verse 11 And that was with destroying those who carry Hamas. I want to thank you for praying for me this week. I've actually struggled more in this series than I probably ever have. And... I struggled in a bunch of different ways. 
in a bunk for a bunch of different reasons, I'm sure. But I know that one of the things I struggled with was expectations. Because every single one of you had an expectation as to what this message was going to be about or this series was going to be about. So my wrestling was all of that, but also my wrestling, primary wrestling was this. I want to get this right. Because I feel like that there's even more that weighs on this for some reason. If I could just summarize what I just said is this, that the battle in Abraham's home is still the battle in Abraham's homeland today. We're just still living out biblical history. Would you stand so we can pray for their peace? God, we just come to you today. God, I just lift my hands to you in just a sign of faith and belief, a sign of openness. To say, God, here I am, here we are. And God, we have nothing to offer ourselves other than our prayers. We're not mobilizing. We're not military. We're gospel people. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring peace to Jerusalem, to Israel, to the Palestinians. And I pray, God, that you would bring a revival, a spiritual revival amongst those lands. God, I pray that that people would come to know you, that even through the result of this, that the 2% of of Palestinians and 2% of Jewish people who actually know you, God, I pray that you would just blow up those percentages with the group of people who are so desperate for you and who will be at war with one another because they're at war with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd bring peace, that you would save them. Not to just save lives, but to save souls. And Lord Jesus, for us, I pray the same. God, I pray that you would save souls. Not only out of this ministry, but other gospel ministries right here in our our city, and our community. God, I pray that people would come to know you in a personal way. God, because we don't serve a God like the God of, the, of the, the Muslim faith, a God that's far off, that we have to do certain things to try and become like or, or to become one with. Jesus, you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves because you want to be close. Jesus, we pray to you in faith today. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. How's God moving in your heart today? Maybe the way we 
that we respond to this particular message is, is just spending some time just praying a little more for maybe how you feel or maybe the anxiousness that you feel to maybe ask God to say, God, would you take this anxiousness? Maybe now we, we, we understand the root of it, but, but yet we're still left with some anxiousness. Is that something you need to pray about? Maybe you just need peace in your life itself. What is God saying to you? What do you need to do to what he's saying? Good. To allow God to just continue.